0: and hear some amazing stories along the way. Ready for a breath of fresh air? It's time for your Paradigm Shift.
1: Welcome to the Paradigm Shift of healthcare and thank you for listening. I'm Michael Roberts with my co-hosts Jared Johnson and Scott Zeitzert. In today's episode, we're talking with Jim Chessy, currently a managing partner at VB EnviroCare, a company that deploys on-site clinically proven technologies and state-of-the-art tools that deliver peace of mind safety standards for indoor interactions and activity. Jim, Thank you so much, I'm so glad we were able to work out getting you on the show, we're all here, we're making this happen for real, so thank you so much. Thank you guys, thanks for having me on.
2: Yeah, you know Jim, I, I know that right now you're doing a lot of work, basically vis-a-vis uh, trying to keep indoors uh, sit a little bit safer in the time of COVID, but we wanted to talk a bit about medical device sales overall. I think between the two of us from an experience perspective, we definitely have over 50 years of selling medical devices. If I'm, I'm probably right doing some rough math there.
0: We're probably uh, the North side of 60s, Scott.
2: I yeah, think. you know, you're right now. I have to admit that. Yeah, you're probably <laughs> right. We had Greg Rainey on the show who both of us have worked with and continue to, to still work a bit with uh, mm-hmm. about a month ago. And we talked a little bit about it, but I wanted to delve in a little bit more and get your you know, your ideas, your take on this as well. So why don't we go back to the 80s when you and I were first starting out and had a lot more hair and then kind of get us caught up to pre-COVID, you know, how times have changed. Sure, Uh, Sure. Because in the 80s, I was young, stupid and uh, uh, working hard. Then I just kept working hard, but I don't know if I was still young and stupid.
0: Now we're old and stupid, Scott. There we go. go. Back when we started, uh, just a little background for your listeners. Uh, I started in New York City, and Scott started in New Jersey, and we crossed paths a lot. Started back in the old days with the company, I'm sure uh, some of the older guys remember, uh, Medica. And yeah. boy, uh, Scott, you and I have talked uh, a lot of times over the years how, how much fun that was back then. And it's still fun, but it's completely different than it was you know, 30-plus years ago. That's what we're going to get into a little bit more in detail today, correct?
2: Absolutely, yeah. You know, a very different time. I remember when we were selling back in the 80s, there was a tremendous amount of differentiation between product in all sincerity mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. Sure. Somebody would come out with, I remember like when metal-backed tibial plates became available, and then titanium versus mm-hmm. cobalt chrome, etc. Like those were major changes. Whereas now, I'm not so sure there's as much I mean, sure, everybody's got differences in their systems, but they're much smaller. Wouldn't you agree? You know.
0: Uh, totally agree. One of the misnomers about people who've been in this business a long time compared to what sales folks are going through now, they think like, oh, it's the old days and all you had to do is, you know, if you brought the best bagels, you were going to get the business. No, that, that's not the case. You really had to know your stuff. And back then, the, the differences in systems, because, I mean, keep in mind, 30 years ago, that's that's a long time, and, and a lot of the technologies have changed. A lot of them, I don't want to use the word commoditized, but, you know, they're, like you said, the differences are subtle. But back then, you really had to know your stuff. You had to know, you know, like, we remember the universal knee instruments. We remember poly was just a thing that you put in, but you had to know the differences between them. Metal back patellas versus all poly patellas. You really had to know your stuff. It was very different, but I wouldn't say it was an easier time to sell medical
2: devices. No, I I don't think so either. I think a lot more was on our shoulders, quite frankly, back then. Part of the commoditization side of things that is occurring, I I think, first of all, for, for patients who would be listening to this, surgeons make choices with hospitals and patients and costs. There's a variety of things that come into play, but ultimately, and I really mean this sincerely, it's about a decision about whether you want to drive a BMW versus a Mercedes, et cetera. It's a pretty good place to be in total knee implants and instruments, total hip, et cetera, et cetera. They were in a very good place. They're very good products. It's just a different conversation now. Wouldn't you agree?
0: Absolutely. Back when we started, had to know your stuff, you had to know your technologies, you had to know your clinical histories, you had to know your product line very, very, very well. But Nowadays, you have to, I always say the big difference between then and now is you have to be a more well-rounded sales rep. And what I mean by that is you're not just selling to the surgeon. We used to talk to the surgeon if they thought it was medically advantageous for them to use the product. We brought it into the hospital. We used it. And now the Best sales reps and sales professionals I've worked with, Scott, and you can verify this, are, and it's become cliche now. But they speak to the janitor of the hospital the same way they speak to the CEO, because there are so many people. It used to be so physician focused back then. You have to uh, appeal to the OR, the OR cost committees, materials management, administration. You got to be able to to sell to all of them. You may have the approval from the doc, but the doc is kind of at the behest of the hospital, which system are they gonna use? What's cost effective for the greater good of the organization that they belong to? So that's the challenge that the rep has now. They have to not only be salespeople, product expertise, but they gotta be marketing specialists. They gotta be business uh, oriented people. And it's very tough now. It's a tough thing to do. but I mean, it's it's a great place to be. It's an awesome place to be. That's why some of the reps now, Younger reps that I've talked to, I mean, I talk to these folks and I think, wow, you really know your stuff because you have to, to survive in this environment now.
2: It was a different type, you know, like, like my training is biomedical engineering and my conversation would be very focused on biomechanics, biomaterials, specific features and benefits accordingly with the surgeon. And to your point, I never really spoke much to purchasing other than this is what he picked. And purchasing basically rolled their eyes and did what they had to do. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I mean that with love uh, to all the purchasing agents out there. And it's not the case anymore. I don't think that the surgeon is as empowered as he or she used to be. And the conversations are much more complex with many more people. It's not enough anymore, but the surgeon likes it. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. And along those lines, because to use the word commoditization, you're right, it isn't like, it's not just a brick. There are differences between the systems, they're just not as big. And because of that, the economics of it, as well as the fact that there aren't major changes, you know, the surgeon can't really go into the purchasing person and go, you've got to use this because it is definitely better than this for the following reasons. It's much sure. more nuanced, right?
0: Well, you mentioned that you came from a biomedical background. I, I came from a different way. I came from a, a nursing background. I worked in the right. operating room. so. My goal, I mean, you know, you could kind of like soar with your strengths and manage your weaknesses. We've talked about that before. My strength was servicing a, a surgical procedure. You can really bring value to a surgical team by helping them get through a case. Like with your background, you, you differentiated yourself because you knew the biomedical technology behind all of these various products. I knew how to take people through the service uh, side of things and help them get through a case. And you know, some of the greatest times I had in this business was uh, you know, late night cases in New York City You know, that was a train wreck case and I was able to help that team get through it. And that's how I brought value to that team. Now, you have to do everything that we just said. You have to have the biomedical engineering background, sort of. You have to have the service orientation. You have to have the business side of things. You have to be able to bring value that really wasn't expected back then, but is is today.
2: Yeah, you know, let's let's talk about that. You know, I, I remember doing a lot of, you know, I was in a lot of ORs over the years, helping in any way that I could. Some of it was just as simple as just telling one of the the scrub techs like what the next instrument was because that particular scrub tech wasn't really an ortho scrub tech and I just kind of helped the process along. Again, uh, to all the patients, the, the surgeon knows very well what to do, how to do it, et cetera, and so do the support staff right next to the patient. But there's a lot of people that's in, that are involved in this process, even down to the point of just walking down the corridor to go pick out the appropriate component that the surgeon chose. So there's just a lot of steps to this and any way that a sales rep in an OR could help just get the flow going just because it's, it's very specific to that particular uh, device manufacturer would always be helpful.
0: I think the general public, when they hear that, Scott, they're kind of shocked. They, you know, why is the the revenue lower? but if they really understood what they do, we don't tell the surgeon how to do the procedure. We may ask a particular question on a device or or whatever, but it's ultimately the surgeon's decision. They're very well versed in how to do that procedure. What we're there for is for inventory management people don't realize that when you bring a loaner in for a a let's say a big uh, revision case, big, nasty case, you may have several thousand pieces of equipment there. There is no way you can ask a nurse or a scrub tech or somebody to keep that all straight. You're basically enhancing the procedure or helping the success of that procedure by providing inventory management, a little bit of guidance, keeping the OR staff and everybody one step ahead of the surgeon. So it, there's tremendous value that having the rep in the OR brings.
2: And that's perfectly explained for everybody kind of, kind of listening in. So, and I remember being very involved with that 80s and then you know towards the end of the 90s, I got much more into marketing and I started doing a lot of web and application development. So I wasn't even selling anymore. You stayed in the game, so to speak. And you know, what's it like now, Jim, you know, are, are you uh, seeing that the, the reps are still doing very similar stuff in the ORs? Uh, I'm talking pre COVID. We'll even have a separate Post COVID, sure, sure. Maybe give uh, me but, both answers on that question. Like, like, is it a similar thing that's happening? Is are they there at eleven thirty and you know at night helping out the the staff with with all that inventory because you know some crazy case came in in the middle of the night?
0: Well, Scott, from a service standpoint, one of the best things that I've seen evolve in the years that we've been in this business is the level of service that they provide. Before, when we got called for a case, and I, I hate to keep referring back to the old days, but that's when we started. Back in those uh, days, VRO, yes. we, <laughs> we would get a call from the OR or the surgeon. They need a particular product. Well, I would drive to you know, New Jersey, pick it up, drive it into the city, go cover the case, you know, do everything. I did everything. Now, they have teams that do that for them so they can provide that service. But the sales rep may have two or three people underneath them, helping them service these cases, which brings tremendous value to the OR. These systems are getting more and more complex. They're adding new and new products. Like, you know, like I heard your podcast with Greg, he talked about robotics. Yep. I mean, wow, that's a whole different level of service. You've got to have a specialized person to do that. The biggest change that I've seen is is the level of quality of service that these companies provide. All companies, they have to do that in order to compete. And it's also very good for the, ultimately the patient and patient care. So that's the biggest shift that I've seen over the years.
2: Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I remember meeting with some of the younger uh, salespeople and they weren't the old school guys like us. They were, they, they definitely had a lot better training uh, from the perspective of, I don't mean specifically on the product itself, but the mm-hmm. overall The ability to understand the economics, not just the features of the particular product. Their in-depth understanding of that as well uh, definitely is there. So now COVID hits and everybody's worried about, you know, just limiting the amount of human beings in the hospital, let alone the operating room. What's involved now? Is there even more pressure on on the rep? Are they even allowed in? What's going on with that?
0: Well, I think a lot of the reps that are now starting to get back to, you know, servicing cases and covering cases and, you know, some places are opening up more rapidly than others and limiting the exposure in the OR. I totally get that in the world of COVID. It's been tough, but go back to, you know, when we started early on, I mean, obviously you want those cases, you want those done and you're offering service. Call me anytime. How many? How many times did we all fall into that trap? Call me anytime; oh, yeah. I'll be there for all those oh, yeah. cases. Well, what happens is you get it—you sell yourself into the OR, and you—I hate to put it in terms like this—but you sell yourself out. When I meet, what I mean by that is train the staff, train the techs, train the nurses, so they know how to use that stuff. If you can't be there for the case, and a lot of the a lot of the sales organizations that I've worked with this past year, you know, with the COVID situation, they're using this time to have Zoom calls with their OR staff, have off-site or even parking lot. I've actually heard of this, parking lot in-services to go over systems because the, the reps aren't allowed back into the OR, you know, Completely yet, so they you got to get creative, and yep. a lot of the time, at one of the great things that came out of the whole COVID situation, everybody had a lot of free time, work from home. A lot of the distributors, companies, and and people that I worked with across this industry, they've used this time wisely. They'll have you know daily training sessions. They'll have you know product updates, that kind of thing. And conversely, they're doing that with uh, their customers, the the PAs, the doctors, the nurses. I heard of a uh, podcast that, or not a podcast, I'm sorry, a Zoom uh, webinar that one of the companies that I consult for, they wanted to do a, just a, a routine product training. Thinking like ordinarily, we usually get like a dozen people that join. There were 65 people that signed up for that. Wow. And so, you know, people who use that time wisely, you know they're they're going to get a jump on their competitors, and and I see a lot of a lot of creative things that people are doing, and those webinars are definitely one of them.
2: That's just awesome. That's just awesome. I think from a a really big picture, it seems like I always say this: COVID brings out the best and the worst, so to speak, and shows the cracks. Is this affecting sales organizations? COVID uh, things getting back to normal at all? You know, in terms of elective surgeries and and how sales are being affected.
0: I, <laughs> you have to ask yourself the question, what is normal? Uh, <laughs> That's a very normal. good point, yeah. A lot of uh, what I'm seeing, and, and, and this is just purely my own observation, I don't know if you know, numbers back this up or not, but ASCs seem to be getting busier. They're doing a lot more cases uh, there in the ORs. It's loosening up a little bit. In some parts of the country, there are still hot spots across the country and you know they're not even into the phase two of the COVID reopening place right, in right. the states. So some places, you know, I hear, you know, parts of Texas. I spoke to somebody yesterday. They seem to be going like they were pre-COVID. I spoke to somebody in actually on Long Island a week or two ago and they said, boy, it's it's still still pretty restricted. So yep. it depends on which part of the country you're in. I do think that the one thing that COVID is doing now is a repless model in the OR is being discussed again. You know, like any issue, Scott, you know, that's so polarizing like that, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. I think people are using this to, uh, you know, it's going to be, some people are going to think, wow, this is great. We're able to do this without the rep. And then there are other people who are thinking, geez, you know, I didn't realize how much value our reps brought us. So. That's going to bring up uh, a lot of discussion in, on that. That's a pretty hot topic in uh, in our business right now.
2: Yeah, it really is.
1: So, Jim, to dig into those changes a bit more, what about distributors? Where do they fit in? Uh, how are they affected by all these changes since coronavirus hit? And, and uh, I'm guessing there there are more complexities than there used to be. How are distributors dealing with all the changes?
0: Well, it's it's like any business. Uh, a medical device distributor uh, depends on how they were how they were set up. And what I mean by that is, you know, a lot of distributors, uh, you know, depending on the nature of their agreement with the company that they're representing, some companies are stepping up and helping their distributors, you know, weather the storm, so to speak. And then other distributors who really didn't plan for this, a lot of them uh, sadly are going away. A lot of the larger companies are helping offset some of the costs. A lot of the distributors applied for the PPP loans, you know, they're, they're getting creative, but there are also people out there where, you know, in another part of my life, I'm actually a consultant for various companies, they'll bring on other product lines to help offset the cost, things that can be sold during COVID. They might not be able to do the number of spine cases or number of joint cases, but they're able to introduce a, another product that is used during COVID that might not be so service oriented where you have to be there face-to-face. It's something that you know they can talk to their friends or do these webinars. Like I told you, they had 65 people on it. They get creative. So to answer, your question it, it depends on the distributor itself some distributors sadly guys are, are not going to survive this i've already seen some of them close down but other ones who you know buckle down work with their organizations work with their salespeople, work with their support staff they'll weather this storm they'll they'll be fine
2: yeah you know it's it's interesting that you bring that up again it goes back to that you know that that axiom along the lines of uh covid brings out the best and the worst the, those those cracks you know that It might not have been a big deal as long as we just stay ahead of the game, so to speak, in terms of just sales, Mm -hmm. cash flow, et cetera, become very, very important for everybody, including the distributor.
0: Sure. It really shows great leadership. You know, I know that sounds cliche, but the good leaders can talk with their people and kind of guide them through this and talk them through this. Anybody can sail a ship on calm waters. It takes a real leader to get through rocky waters. And the ones that can do that in this environment they're going to survive and do very well and it all hinges on you know that that person sitting at the top and i've seen some pretty creative very good leaders in the distributors out there across the country
1: jim we've looked at this from you know from a couple of different angles now we've talked about what the sales rep is facing and and what that individual needs to be doing to adjust talked about the distributors themselves let's talk some about the surgeons you know and some of the practices themselves we obviously do a lot of work with with orthopedic surgeons, with spine surgeons, with neurosurgeons. So we're, we're kind of in that space quite a bit. What does the, the surgeon himself or herself need to be thinking about as all of these changes are happening? You, you're talking about how much more now the staff is having to really step up and kind of take on a lot more of this responsibility. Is that the main thing that they should be thinking about? Or are there other challenges that this kind of new, quote, new normal or always changing normal or whatever label you want to give it are there things that they need to be thinking about in that space?
0: I think this is kind of forcing their hand. Maybe some some people have jumped on board with you know thinking of, of this from a business standpoint. This is the new the new normal. I hate to keep saying that word, but <laughs> it, we go back to this. You know, doctors now have to think about before they used to just focus on surgery that they had to do and they came in and they did all the pre-op post-op work. They did the case. Now they have to think about things like. How are we capturing cases that may go somewhere else? How are we going to be more efficient in the OR? How are we going to work with the hospitals who have to pay the bills for all of these vendors coming in? So, I mean, they just got to be more open to kind of working together collaboratively with all of their teams, whether it's the hospital, the ASC they're working with, the staff they're working with, the vendors they're working with. You've got to get creative. And mm-hmm. the surgeon practices and, and how they do things, it's no different than what we just talked about with the distributors. Mm-hmm. A lot of practices have great practice managers who will guide people through this. I've seen, seen and heard of a lot of practices who are struggling through this. They've never really sure been through anything like this. So now they have to think outside the box. You know, how do we, how do we market? How do we build a good user-friendly website? How do we, you know, do all kinds of things that they didn't think of in 2019? They now have to yeah. rethink how their
1: approach to getting out in the market now. That list of responsibilities has grown pretty exponentially, pretty quickly here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jim, while we've got you still, I want to talk a little bit about what you're doing now. You and I talked a little bit about EnviroCare, VB EnviroCare before. I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you're doing there and and that company's role.
0: Sure. this is uh, For me personally, this is a very exciting venture for me. I'm working with some people that I've consulted with and worked on various projects. And we kind of came together. A lot of people in my position, distributors, med device people out there. When COVID first hit, there were PPE companies that came out of the woodwork. They wanted Mm -hmm. everybody to sell masks and gloves and gowns and bunny suits and all that. Mm -hmm. And this, the group that I'm working with, we made the decision we're not going to get into that game because Mm -hmm. let's be honest, it, it just didn't, I I don't want to say dirty, but it just doesn't feel quite right. You know, there Mm -hmm. are companies that do this, they're working with their local authorities and you know, they're, they're doing a great job, but there, we came across a few people that weren't doing a great job. So what we decided to do was if something should come along that can help post-pandemic, help people feel safe, help people get Mm -hmm. back to work and their lives and play, you know, all of that stuff. So what we did was we actually teamed up with a, a group out of Oklahoma, a very exciting group down there. They've been doing this for years. Basically, we have two product offerings. We have a misting service. I'll tell you about that in a second. But we have an air disinfection system. The great thing about this is it there aren't a lot of these out there, and we ha we're working with the best company that produces these. everybody's talking about hePA filters and air filtration and air purification and mm-hmm. if you're on Instagram or Facebook, uh, at least on my newsfeed like every other thing is a, a HEPA filter or an air purification system. Sure. This, this system has been around for a long time. There's a good long clinical history, which is very important, right, Scott? How long has it been around? What's the, what's the efficacy of this? And so with this company, basically what it is, it is a system that looks like an air purification system. But what it does is it has the filter that the air gets drawn into But after it goes through the normal filtration system to take out dust and dander and pollen and the normal things that an air purification does, the system does in a regular air purification system. If you have airborne COVID or airborne SARS or H one N one, it will shoot right through those filters and come out the other side just as strong as they went in. What we do is we actually add what's called an uh, electromagnetic plasma field that will eradicate those germs. So coming out the other side is Clean, fresh, uh, non-contaminated air. Mm. The best way to describe this, to, to boil it down to simple terms, it's a microbiology bug zapper. It will kill the bugs as it goes through a normal HEPA filter, a normal filtration or air purification system, it'll shoot right through. So this does both. It, it picks up all the all the particulate, but it also eradicates the germs. So you have nice fresh air. The other system that we have is we have a misting service, but it's not just a misting service. We've seen a lot of commercials on TV during COVID. Oh, come back, you know we we use this, we use that. Whether you use V B and Care or not, any business owner that use that uses any disinfection system know the science behind it. There's a lot of stuff out there that does a pretty good job, but may not do the best job. So it's an exciting new company. We've been working on it for a few months, but we officially launched July 1 and it has okay. gone very, very well. So That's thank you awesome. for asking.
1: Oh, certainly. So I can see how that sudden is certainly a, a next step for the work that you've been doing um, just in, in the time that we've known one another. Jim, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so glad that we finally got the chance to to record and have this conversation. I, I think that this is just Continually evolving landscape. And I think getting to hear all the different sides of how people are coming at making updates to the OR, making updates to their practice, it's just really, really helpful for us. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to the paradigm shift of healthcare. This program is brought to you by P3
0: Inbound, marketing for ortho, spine, and neural practices. Subscribe on iTunes,
2: Google Play or anywhere you listen to podcasts.